What's up, guys? Welcome to a new episode of Fifth and Long, presented to you by Patrick Demar and Paul Kashak, the commission himself. Got a two-parter for you today. Fifth and Long Friday, by the way. Happy Friday to you. Part one of today's episode is going to be covering the NFL coaching carousel. Basically, Paul and I are going to be um, giving a, a farewell adieu to the likes of Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, Pete Carroll. Later on in the episode, we're going to be ranking the NFL head coaching openings by which jobs we think are the best. And then later today, we're going to be having part two covering the super wild card round of the NFL playoffs, giving our previews for, for the games this weekend, who we think will come out on top, as well as which wild card contenders we think can make the deepest Super Bowl run. Before we fully dive into the episode, I will say this episode was recorded Thursday night, pretty late. So the Friday morning official news of Gerard Mayo being hired as the Patriots' next head coach was not covered. However, I did sort of preview it in this episode. Um, I pretty much said that, for all intents and purposes, Gerard Mayo is going to be the next guy. So this being the hiring here doesn't doesn't surprise me. He's the youngest head coach in the NFL as of now. He's the first African-American head coach in the New England Patriots franchise. So there's some firsts here. I will... I'm hoping to do a standalone kind of Pat's preview for for uh, this head coaching hire. We'll we'll see if it happens, but really excited for Gerard. Really excited for the future of the Pat's franchise. So, without further ado, this is the Fifth and Log Podcast. Enjoy the show. All right, fifth and long fans, man, this is going to be a power-packed episode. We got a lot of stuff to talk about here. We've got NFL head coaching openings. We've got college head coaching openings. We've got the wild card round of the NFL playoffs here, right here, right now, this weekend. This has been quite a 24-hour news cycle in the football world, Paul. I mean, two of the greatest coaches ever in the history of sports. Some would say the greatest college coach ever and the greatest NFL head coach ever retired within 24. Well, Saban retired. Belichick is just leaving the Pats, but within 24 hours of each other, news breaks about both of these coaches. We also had Pete Carroll announcing his retirement from coaching from the Seattle Seahawks. Man, I don't even know where to start. I mean, I will... Okay, I'll start with this. As as the resident Patriots fan on the podcast, six weeks ago to two months ago, I kind of saw the writing on the wall. The game in Frankfurt where the Patriots lost to the Colts, we had a bye week immediately after that, and there was some conversation about whether or not Belichick would even make it home from Europe if we lost that game. We ended up losing that game. I was actually surprised he was still coaching after that, but then I really thought about it, and – I said to myself, you know, with what he's done for the franchise, with the kind of guy that Robert Kraft is, the relationship that they have, everything they've been through together, Kraft isn't just going to fire him in the middle of the season. He's going to let him finish the job for a year. We suck anyways, right? What's the worst that can happen? We lose more games. We get a better draft pick. So what? Who cares? Um, if anything, that it helped us out a little bit. <laughs> uh, sure, we, we won a couple games. Maybe we shouldn't have. Maybe we have the, the second pick instead of the, the third. But anyways, 
it was after after the Bills loss in week 18 where I really thought about it and tried to picture him coming back next year, and I just couldn't. And it wasn't necessarily because of the coaching job that he did with the team. I think if you look back at some of the teams that he's had since Brady left, I would argue the Pats have overachieved. The year after with Cam Newton, we missed the playoffs by like one game. Cam was terrible that year. If you go back and watch the film, it was a pretty brutal season. There was a few games where we could have won and and Cam made some mistakes that kept us from doing so. We also had Mac Jones's rookie year where Mac actually had a pretty good season. And then um, last year, we obviously lost in the opening round of the playoffs to the Bills as well with Mac at the helm. And (laughs) defense was kind of a staple of, of the late Belichick teams. I feel bad spending so much time on those. I mean, there's so many other things you could talk about with Bill from his original decision to go with Brady after the the Drew Bledsoe injury, which people our age won't really remember how big of a deal that was at the time. But Drew Bledsoe was a number one overall draft pick. He was the highest paid quarterback in the league at the time. And he had only missed a few weeks. And Belichick said, no, I'm going to go with the sixth round pick kid instead, just because he's got the hot hands. People thought he was fucking insane at the time. And six Super Bowls later, seven for Brady. Nobody's asking second questions about it. Um, There was the year without Brady where Matt Castle was the starting quarterback. We won 11 games, missed the playoffs by a single win. There have been all kinds of random game in-game situations. The the intentional safety against Denver once upon a time. Um, There was obviously the famous no call of the timeout against Pete Carroll's Seahawks in the Super Bowl. But also there have been some shortcomings from Belichick's notably in the last 10 years. I think I saw a stat that said we haven't drafted or we haven't re-signed a pick from the first three rounds in like over a decade. If you think about that, that's, that's a lot of first, second and third round picks. And we've retained none of them because none of them have really panned out. The first domino that fell for Belichick's stepping down for me was the decision to have Matt Patricia and Joe judge lead the offense last year. And Mac Jones's second season really stunted Mac's development led to a whole conglomerate of other issues offensively and, and in different position groups, it just didn't work. And I mean, there's, there's plenty more decisions other than that. We drafted a, Cole Strange in the first round in 2021 or 22, 2021, I think. He didn't really pan out. That was out. the pick that his dog made, right? Was that <laughs> the pick that his dog made? <laughs> I, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, we've passed up on all kinds of players in the draft, Debo, and and I mean, I, I could – he's the only guy I'm going to name, but I could name a lot. And I think as much as I hate to say it, I don't think Bill was going to win a Super Bowl again in New England. If the only reason why we were holding him on was for him to break the wins record, the all-time wins record in Foxborough, it wasn't worth keeping him. Um, We needed to reset a couple years ago, and we're sort of late to the party and actually doing it. But with a top three pick in the draft this year, the chance to reset a little bit of that, culture in the building with drafting a new quarterback perhaps or or going out and getting a key franchise piece 
I understand why the move was made. I think this was, I think it was telling how the press conference leading up to the decision was made, was handled where Belichick essentially said like, I am all for whatever us as an organization thinks is the best decision moving forward. So he even sort of alluded to, I might not necessarily be the best fit going forward for this team. Like he kind of knew it, I think with, with when he said that, and I don't even necessarily think I'm not sure it's a guarantee he's going to keep coaching after this year, but you look at it in the grand perspective of things, uh, six Super Bowl titles as a head coach, eight if you count two as a D coordinator with Bill Parcells as Giants. Uh, he had three other appearances in the Super Bowl. So grand total, that's 11 Super Bowl appearances. That's nuts. He's the greatest coach of this generation. He he brought so much out of players that you wouldn't expect him, anybody to get anything out of. But he's also had his fair share of swing and misses, especially the last couple of years. I'm going to miss him. But like I sort of said before, I think I think it was time. And I sort of accepted this news earlier in the week before it even was released. So it didn't really surprise me. It's a little bit of a shock. Like, I don't remember New England Patriots without Bill Belichick at the helm. But, you know, it was going to happen eventually. So out with the old and with the new. Let's bring some fresh blood in. Let's build a new, new great generation of Patriots. I'm excited for the future, actually. I, I've been wanting this, I think, subtly in my heart for a few years. And I finally reconciled with it this week before it was official. So I'm, this is the most excited I've been about the Pats in like two or three years, actually, today, right here, right now. And that might sound crazy to some diehards, but it's, it's like a bittersweet, um, bittersweet excitedness that's the best way i could phrase it yeah well it, it has to be i mean and there's a lot to unpack right there uh what you were just talking about with bill i mean this is you know the official and i guess you would say of the patriots dynasty i mean we know that the writing's been on the wall for a couple of years now and the the past couple of years you guys haven't really had sustained winning success and, and playoff success like it was back in the good old days with belichick and brady but now with Bill out of the building, I mean that that really is that really is the end of of what is without a doubt the NFL's greatest dynasty that we've ever seen. Six Super Bowls with with him and Tom. It's extremely impressive. Uh, you know, you're right. There, there's so much good that he did early on, and and really all the way up, pretty much until the end of Tom Brady's career. That I think it's unfortunate. A lot of a lot of people now, at least in the media seem to overshadow that with with how things have kind of taken a turn after Tom has left. I don't think it's really all Bill's fault, um, at least from a from a coaching perspective. I think that you have alluded to there's been some poor personnel decisions. Um, I think that his role as a general manager, he's come up short and lacking. Um, you talked about trying to restart things and you, you thought you said that you thought that New England was just kind of late to the party. I would argue that they just did it incorrectly. I think that every, they tried to restart by drafting Mac Jones a couple of years ago and they got the pick wrong. Like, I mean, it is what it is. It happens. You know, my, I think my team is going through the same thing right now, drafting a quarterback in the middle of the first round. And I don't um, disagree with you. I don't disagree with yeah. you, by the way. Yeah, it can be difficult to reconcile that. And, and given the fact that, you know, Mac's a first round pick, you're going to try to give him uh, every opportunity to succeed. But I think that that was that was a bad pick. And ultimately, it, it, it's kind of led to this this gradual or, or quick downfall, I guess, depending on how you, you want to look at it over the past couple of years. Um, 
if if I could really just say one thing about Bill, because you you kind of summed it up very well, um, pretty comprehensively there. I I think I'm going to look at him as you know I, I don't look at what he's done the past couple of years as as who he is. I look at him at what he did in during the dynasty run. You mentioned about going to Brady over Drew Bledsoe on that first Super Bowl run. Uh, people probably don't remember, obviously, especially listeners of our age, that Drew Bledsoe went into Pittsburgh and beat the Steelers to get to the Super Bowl. And Bill still went back to Tom Brady after that. Brady was hurt for that game. So he he noticed something in Tom early in his career. Um, they kept Tom Brady as a fourth quarterback on that roster, I think just on the practice squad early on. I mean, we all know Tom Brady's a sixth-round pick, so not a not a big high profile around him when he first broke into the league. So you have to commend Bill from that for seeing something in time in such an early stage in his career. And I know a lot of people out there are, have jumped the gun and are saying that Belichick benefited more from Brady's success than the other way around. And to a degree, I, I, I do agree with that. Look, the players that are on the field are the ones that are executing are the ones that are actually making plays but I can say definitively, it's a little bit of a cop-out, but it, it's the truth. Tom Brady would not have won as many Super Bowls without Bill Belichick, and Bill Belichick would not have won as many Super Bowls without Tom Brady. Yeah. They each made each other better. Uh, they won more because they had the other one to lean on. Uh, and I don't think people are saying that enough right now. And I think over time, people will start to come to that realization. Uh, but, but you're right. You know, not the best teams that Bill had to work with after after Brady left and Brady got to go to a you know a team that was pretty much already a Super Bowl roster and just needed a quarterback. So I can imagine how sad this must be for you deep down, knowing how how many good times there were with him. But I completely understand where you're coming from that you need to move with a new direction and and this is kind of the start of that. The NFL is going young, especially a head coach, and and Bill's not that anymore. No, definitely not. That's the age piece of it is the piece that makes me wonder whether or not he's going to coach next year, because if he were to sign with another team upon his signing, he would be the oldest head coach in the league. Pete Carroll was the oldest head coach in the league at 72. He just retired bill 71. It's not like he's that far behind. Right? So if, if he's signing another contract with the team, what's how long is he really planning on being there Four, five years, six, seven? I, I mean, the more years you add, the closer you get to 80. That's not like, he already lost his step as a GM. How many years is it going to be before he loses his step as a coach? Um, I'm not here to diminish the guy though. I'd rather talk about his successes. You mentioned the, the Brady for Bledsoe for Bledsoe swap. It's not like that was the only awesome move he made that was ridiculed at the time or um, thought against by media pundits. There was bringing in Rodney Harrison prior to the 2003 season, trading away all pro safety lawyer Malloy in one full swoop, basically in that same off season turned into two more Super Bowls. There was bringing in Edelman and turning him into a wide receiver. There was even bringing in Darrell Revis, which, which led to another Super Bowl for the Pats, uh, trading a second round pick to the Bengals for Corey Dillon, trading a fourth rounder, a fourth rounder to the Raiders for Randy Moss, who broke a freaking – he broke a single-season touchdown record like a year later with the Pats. Uh, second and seventh-round picks to Miami for Wes Welker, who is still our all-time leading receiver. Um, I could go on and on and on and on. Like, the foresight he had within a certain era was next level. And 
that is impossible to replicate, which is why, in my opinion, as a Pats fan, I don't really want them to stay in, in the coaching tree for a Belichick. I would prefer we kind of go out of that. Yes, there's the Patriots way and the Belichick way and all that, but I think players have started to respect that a little bit less over the last few years. Brady was such a key figure hold for people to follow, how regimented he was, how disciplined he was, how people people even Danny Danny Amendola alluded to it in the trailer for for the past new uh, series on Apple. Belichick was the coach of the team, but people played for Brady. And Brady's not there anymore. So they need to find a guy as a head coach who isn't trying to do the Belichick thing, right? Who can command the attention and respect of the room in their own way. I don't know who that is. Um, Gerard Mayo is, has kind of been the coach in waiting for a few years. I think it's more likely than not he actually gets the job. I'm not necessarily saying that would be my choice. I just think that's what's going to happen. With Mike Brabel being available, available that kind of makes things more complicated because of the history he has with the Pats. Even earlier in the year, Tennessee's bye week was inducted into the Patriots Hall of Fame and said a lot of really good things about the organization in that ceremony. Enough so to the point where it kind of drew the irk of the Titans front office. It was one of the reasons why he was fired, actually, was the respect that he gave to the Pats in that um, uh, Hall of Fame induction ceremony. For, for the New England Patriots Hall of Fame. So I, I don't – I'm pretty certain Gerard Mayo is going to be the next head coach. I'd prefer a guy under the Shanahan tree of coaching or, or somewhere – somebody more offensive-minded. Um, There's a few names I'd be willing to consider, especially with all the money we have to play around with. Why not even go after a guy like Harbaugh, try to bring him in, sell him on the idea of being, like, the next great coach of the Patriots' legacy? I don't think that'll happen, but – a guy can dream, you know, but I don't know. You have any f- final thoughts on this? We just did a solid like 15 minutes on Belichick. No, man. I, I mean, yeah, I wanted to give you the floor mainly on this one, just because you, you are a Patriots fan and you're more tuned into them and you have more memories of bill. Uh, all I can say, I guess my, my final thought on, on him is that, you know, as a Steeler fan, and given the fact that the Steelers had to go up against the Patriots a lot um, when they were competing in the playoffs and for Super Bowls back 10, 15 years ago, it was just, you know, you just shivered at the thought of having to play New England, not just going up into Foxborough, but having to face the brilliance of Bill Belichick. You know, I mean, Bill, he always had something new up his sleeve. The, the one thing that I remember most vividly is um, the false starting on purpose to to keep the clock running. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, which that, Brable brilliant. took and used against and, him in the wild card. Brable used it against him in the <laughs> wild card game where the Titans went in there to New England. I mean, that to me, the winning is is what you remember first about Belichick. But I am also going to remember those little idi- idiosyncrasies where he was in touch with the game and knew the rules so well that he he could find a way, pick up a small thing, and like purposefully fall starting to chew more clock and like just a somebody who understood the rules of the game so well that clearly not all NFL coaches these days do. I, I think it'll be a lost art uh, as we continue to go. I, I don't think that that's the, the direction that a lot of these young coaches are going in, um, but really just set the stage. He defined what excellence was. It's difficult for me to say all of this because a lot of his success was beating my Pittsburgh Steelers in, in the Super Bowl in the playoffs, but 
when somebody's had as much success as they did over the years, I, I have to give them credit. So those are my final words for Bill. Um, I don't know, you know, what the future will hold for him, uh, but man, can't believe uh, we've seen the day now when both Brady and Belichick are uh, are out of the NFL, or at least temporarily out of the NFL. You mentioned the understanding of the rules. There was also he pushed the boundaries of the uh, defensive coverage rules so much in the early 2000s that um, it led to the pass interference rules being changed around 2004, 2005. He exploited that sixth O lineman or four O lineman formation where he had like five eligible receivers, but one of them, but there was an O lineman spread out in uh, that playoff game against the Ravens, which the NFL then made that formation illegal, like before the next week of the playoffs. Um, yeah, my, he literally changed rules. I mean, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how well he knew the game. My favorite stat about him is that um, he has nine more playoff wins than the next closest head coach. But he also has more first round buys as a head coach than 12 NFL franchises have total postseason victories. That's pretty crazy. Wow. More first yeah, round, first buys. round buys, basically a playoff win. Yeah. First round buys, basically a playoff win in and of itself, you know, more first round buys than 12 franchises have total postseason victories. That's crazy. That's crazy. It's unprecedented. And I actually think, I don't think he's going to be coaching anymore. I could see him more in just a front office role instead of coaching, but really where I think he's going to be making his next, his money next year is in a, in broadcasting. You might not remember this, but when the NFL did their all time 100 thing, he won a sports Emmy for his performance in that as a, as an analyst and advisor. And we've seen it on college game day. We've seen it a few times and other NFL and ESPN programming. I think he'd be a perfect fit. Like if you just give him a telestrator and let him go to work once a week, every football, any diehard football fan is going to tune into that. It's must watch TV. So he could command upwards of like 20 million from Amazon doing that. You think I'm crazy saying that, but Sean McVay was offered 18 mil a year by Amazon in the off season. So I, I Belichick is definitely capable of making more than that. Um, enough on Bill though. Bill, Thank you as a Patriots fan. I'm going to miss you. You're the best ever. That's it, Ben. On onto greener grass or golf courses, wherever. Maybe you and Saban can link up for, for a round on the links. Speaking of Nick Saban, Nick Saban's also retiring from football. It's crazy it took us 20 minutes to get here, but um, Belichick, is, Belichick could be deserving of his own whole podcast if he really wanted. Nick Saban... No longer the head coach, the Alabama Crimson Tide. Um, I think this was more of a shock, uh, shocker news break than the Belichick, Belichick storyline. Yes, were you expecting this at all? Yeah, no. Th this caught me completely by surprise. The the Bill thing, you know, we knew that New England was was planning on kind of moving on. Like you said, the writing was on the wall there, and. And uh, that that didn't come as too much of a surprise. That was kind of just like when more so than if this Saban thing, I, this kind of came out of left field and, and I didn't I didn't see this happening at all. I think the news broke in the evening on a day or two ago when, whenever it happened. You know, 
uh, it comes after Alabama makes the college football playoff and they're, you know, an overtime play away basically from beating the team that goes on to win the national championship. It, it certainly struck me as um, a little bit odd at the time, but then I sat back and thought about it, um, heard some, some analysis on, on why he might be going and it made a little bit of sense to me. So um, I'm looking forward to hearing your initial thoughts of it when you, uh, when you heard it. And then I, I have the reasoning of why I think it happened at the time that it did, but I'd like to hear what you, you have to think on it first before I get into that. Um, It didn't. So it surprised me to a certain extent. Like it surprised me when I really read it. And then I, th- when I first saw it and then I thought about it, thought about his age, thought about the respect he has for the program and um, kind of wanting how I would assume he would kind of want to leave in his own way. And it made a lot more sense. Like, I would argue that what he did with this year's team is one of his more impressive coaching jobs at Alabama. You just yeah, led I a team with, with almost no quarterback to a college football playoff semi and an SEC championship. It wasn't, it wasn't an easy year. He worked his ass off. And I think by the end of it, he took a deep breath, looked around and said, I don't know if I can do this. 100% next year. I don't know if I could give it all to these kids again. And I think he's a very black and white guy. Um, I think that was the, the only thought in his head, really. Um, the crazy thing was that morning, the morning of when he announced his retirement, he was actually in meetings, uh, like interviews for, for staffers for the coming year. So it, it, I don't know if it was a decision that was just like, that leads me to think either this was a decision that was made earlier in the season and he let somebody know and it was kept under wraps or this was a very spontaneous like spur of the moment. Boom. I'm making this decision right now. Um, the reason that I think that that he's he's moving on, I, I think it's, in my opinion, pretty plain and simple. I, I think it's the whole NIL and transfer portal thing. He's not this isn't um, a day and age in college football that that he is I guess is used to this isn't the one where he was coaching back 10 15 years ago and there's so many other variables now and I think a lot of coaches don't really want to deal with this the NIL thing I think that the the art of recruiting has become less and less and you know we've heard other coaches like Dabo Sweeney doesn't want to dish out NIL money that you know they don't want to I guess recruit as heavily through the transfer portal this isn't how guys like Nick Saban and some of the older coaches in college football came up in, in college football and, and made their bread and butter in terms of recruiting. I, you know what? I, I think that they're, I just don't think he wants to deal with the chaos of that and what kind of college football has become in a way. That's obviously pure speculation on my end, but I don't think that you can say that he's not at the top of his game still. I mean, you talked about it. This was a phenomenal coaching job to bring a lesser quality team, in my opinion, into the college football playoff and really be within a snap or two of, of going to the championship. So I think it doesn't make any sense to say that he couldn't bring a team back again to the, to the playoff next year. I just think he doesn't want to deal with all this noise that's surrounding the sport of college football right now, personally. So after this news became final and official, immediately everybody just started listing that like, basically any good college football coach with any connection to the sec or who could even come within an earshot of best current head coach in the country was being rumored to, to be in line for this job. Dan Lanning was the first 
really big hot name. And then Lanning posted a video on his personal Twitter earlier this morning saying he would be staying in Eugene. Really classy move from that guy. I also loved that he didn't just reuse the the Wolf of Wall Street video that's been used like seven yeah, million times in the last six years. Um, Dabo Sweeney from Clemson was another hot name, but there was a report that came out today that I saw that said that Dabo has a, a, a Alabama clause, quote unquote, in his contract that says if he were to leave Clemson to coach the tide, if it, if he were to make that choice, which it would be a choice he would have to make, Dabo would foot the bill for 150% of his buyout. So it wouldn't just be the whole total of, of his buyout. He would have to tack on another 50% of that from his own pockets to that. So Bama would have to give him quite a bit of money for him to be okay with that happening. They can do it, but I don't see, I don't see that being a move that's made. So then the candidates are now Steve Sarkeesian, Kalen DeBoer is getting a lot of traction right now. He's the real hot name. Supposedly, Bama boosters and, and people that make decisions there have, have had him in their on their mind for a few months. And um, the other is Mike Norvell from Florida State. And that's the guy I think I'm looking at the most right now because of some of the sanctions that could be going down against FSU. There was a, a news blurb that came out a few hours ago, actually, that um, said they just Basically, they had a bunch of NIL infractions, and um, there could be some things they're dealing with, suspensions of coaches, that sort of deal. It, it doesn't seem like it's going to be major, major stuff. But nonetheless, with everything FSU has been through the last couple of months, I could certainly understand um, Norvell jumping ship if the opportunity is presented. DeBoer of Washington, I, I don't see him turning that job offer down either, but you never know. Dan Lanning just did. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, I haven't given too much thought as to who might replace Saban. I mean, I, I think it's going to be tough whoever takes this job right after him, as it will be for whoever takes the job in New England after Bill Belichick. You have such big shoes to step into. It's such a legacy there. I mean, it's such a tradition of winning that that you then have to live up to. Um, a lot of pressure will, will come on whoever takes that job. I think DeBoer uh, and Norvell are both pretty good options. Those guys both... Uh, Good pro, very good programs that they that they were coaching at this year, but took them to an elite level that we haven't seen those programs at at least in a couple of years. And uh, for Washington, I think it would have been back since uh, maybe it was when Jake Browning was there. I know that they were in the college football playoff at least one year, but um, weren't too competitive back in the early days of the college football playoff. So I mean, those guys have both done an incredible job at, at their respective schools, and I wouldn't be surprised that they should certainly get interviewed. I don't know, man. Um, I know that one of our buddies in the group chat was throwing out Lane Kiffin. That'd be that'd be an interesting one. Uh, but it's uh, incredibly big shoes to fill. I, I can only imagine um, the pressure that would be on somebody to take that Bama job. Lane, I don't see because he's still really active in the transfer portal right now. I'm pretty sure I saw something circulate today where Ole Miss brought in LSU's running back that was in the transfer portal. If I'm not mistaken, I forget his name off the top of my head, but guys who've been paying attention to the transfer portal know who I'm talking about. Um, One other thing I'll say with, with Saban, I don't think anybody has ever been more adept at developing talent in the college game than he has. He's produced 123 draft picks 
in his coaching tenor, tenure at Alabama. Before he took over, Alabama hadn't had a first-round pick in almost a decade. He's had 44 first-round picks just by himself, okay? All of his NFL players or players that have moved on to play in, in the NFL have accumulated career earnings upwards of $2 billion. Um, unbelievable, man. You, you go through the talent on his teams, like, Julio Jones, Dante Hightower, former New England Patriot, um, CJ Mosley, Amari Cooper, Derek Henry, Marlon Humphrey, Tua, Jalen Waddle. Um, the list goes on and on. And I don't know if I don't know. It's 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 crazy to envision a college football world without him. Like He's a surefire pick for for the cover guy in the new college college football EA sports game, right? <laughs> Who else are you going to pick now? Uh, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I think that there's – yeah, it's not a bad one. Saban in his retiring year put him on the cover. Um, one other thing gotta about be. him – Got to be. It's not a bad pick. One other thing about him, uh, another stat that blows my mind uh, that you didn't mention. Uh, any class that has stayed all four years – with him since he's taken over at Bama has won at least one championship. Yeah. There's no, there's no class from freshman to senior year that has been with him during that a four year stretch where they didn't win at least one national championship. So, I mean, that's incredibly impressive in and of itself. This was uh, I think this was like this three year drought um, going in. It was either going into this year or after they lost this, this game to Michigan, it was a three-year drought of not winning a, a a championship game, and that was like his longest drought since he took over at Bama. Three years. It's ridiculous to to think about that. So you're right. I mean, the, the college football landscape is just going to be entirely different without him. Um, it's not something that I can wrap my head around right now, but crazy, man. You think him and Bill are just going to go fishing together? I think what I think is that what I think should happen, what I want to happen, and I sort of like talked about a little bit earlier, I think they should get a TV show together or like their own version of the Manning cast. I would much rather tune in to Saban and Belichick breaking down games on air than Eli and Peyton jerking around and debating, debating whose forehead is the biggest. Think of how dry the humor would be on that show. They've, <laughs> got, Belichick. they've got some humor. They're funny dudes, man, and, and they've been a little – less buttoned up the last couple of years, especially Saban. If you go back and listen to some of his um, media appearances in the last year, he's gotten a lot looser around the collar. I think if you took these guys out of the coaching setting and just put the cameras in front of them, it would be all kinds of class entertainment. I, I would love to see or listen to that. However, however it needs to happen or however it happens, it needs to happen. For sure. Well, did you, did you hear how Bill opened up his press conference today? He, he goes, "Oh man, I yeah. haven't seen this. I haven't seen this many cameras here since we signed Tebow." <laughs> that was so funny. Yeah. That was so funny. I actually I went to that training camp the year that Tebow was in the building for like three weeks. Um, I have a picture with him actually. That, that's a long time ago. Blast from the past, man. Blast from the past. Um, Pete Carroll, the other head coach that generated some steam uh yeah kind of forgotten now kind of forgotten now with these two big names that <laughs> that, that went down but right talk about pete as well yeah this is like man it's tough to be 
the the other pretty good coach that retires on in the same 24 hour news cycle as two of the greatest coaches ever. Um, Pete Carroll, one of the only head coaches in football history to win a national championship at the college level and a Super Bowl in the NFL. Um, supposedly he's going to be serving in a, in an advisory role for the Seahawks going forward. There's some debate as to whether or not how legitimate that advisory role is. Some say it's going to be mainly like ceremonial just as a way to keep him in the organization as like a nice gesture. But then there's other people saying he might actually take part in making decisions and, and that sort of thing. Um, one of the best high energy, like genuine character guys. I don't think he ever had a moment in the NFL where he wasn't 100% authentic. And there were times where that rubbed his players the wrong way. There are times where his players really loved it. I think the player coach quote unquote that he was, was a big part of the reason why he had success with that. With first of all, the USC teams, the, the Southern Cal teams in the early part of the two thousands, Reggie Bush is still one of my favorite college football players ever. I'm just old enough to where I can sort of remember him playing. Um, then you look at his Legion of Boom teams and and guys like Marshawn Lynch, Russell Wilson um, on the offensive end as well. He's been, I mean, he is the Seattle Seahawks football, right? Like, the Patriots have been around so long. You, they sucked before Belichick for the most part. You can go back and at least look at, like, all right, they have a history, like, Parcells let him do a Super Bowl, blah, 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 blah. I don't really remember the Seahawks before Pete Carroll. I couldn't tell you who their head coach was before him off the top of my head. I'd have to go and look it up. I know uh, Matt Hasselbeck and, and Sean Alexander were there. Mike, Mike Holmgren. Holmgren. Mike Holmgren was the coach, yeah. I yeah, don't know yeah. if he was the coach directly before Carroll or if there was somebody between Mike Holmgren and, and Carroll, but Mike Holmgren coached that team with Matt Hasselbeck that lost to the Steelers in Super Bowl Forty. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, I... This him retiring actually hit me in the feels a little bit. I saw his press conference and how he thanked so many members of the staff and how he essentially he had a line where he was like, where he said something along the lines of um, before I came here, there was nothing and, and we built something and what we built was special basically where yes, they had that super Bowl appearance to the Steelers, which you mentioned, but after that, it was like, I, I'm not a Seahawks fan, so, so I can't really speak to it um, extremely well. But certainly the culture that he built there is something you think will last in the next four to five years, I would say, with him not being the head coach anymore. Whereas with Belichick leaving, I don't think I can say the same thing. I'm not comparing them as coaches. I'm not saying like, one's better than the other. What I'm just saying is the culture that Pete built is a lot easier to replicate and maintain going forward than the culture with the standards that Belichick made. So to me, he's, he's, he might not necessarily be one of the most successful coaches of all time, but he's been one of the best coaches the last 15 years. Seattle has been one of the more successful franchises of that time period. He's um, he would have been one of the four or five most tenured coaches in the league as well. Had he not stepped down, um, it's tough to see him go, but I, I think it was good timing for him. 
Uh, I mean, I think he's one of the most successful coaches of all time. I mean, he's been to two Super Bowls, won one. Um, you're, you're right. I mean, a, a complete culture of winning a successful uh, Seattle franchise since he's taken over. Um, I, I'm with you. I, you know, I feel for him a little bit here also because I think it's pretty clear he didn't want to go. He wanted to to stay there. And this was really more Seattle's decision than his um, I got a quote that he said from his press conference right in front of me um, when he was asked uh, on the decision to no longer be the coach. Carol said the following, and I quote, I competed pretty hard to be the coach, just so you know, end quote. So this is a guy that I think clearly didn't want to leave, um, you know, kind of re revived Geno Smith's career. There's a lot of talented players on on that Seattle Seahawks roster right now. I think it's a team that is Gino is like solid, but I think that they're kind of just a, an elite quarterback away from competing and obviously some pieces on defense, but man, this team after the Russell Wilson trade was supposed to be in the doldrums of the NFL. People thought that they'd be a doormat and wouldn't be able to compete for, for quite a while. And that wasn't the case at all. They made the playoffs last year. You talked about him being the ultimate players coach. And I can attest to that. I mean, I say I can attest to that. I'm not in the locker room with him, but what I mean is, I was watching a video the other day of his pre-draft interview with DK Metcalf and DK Metcalf kind of boldly came into the interview with his shirt off. Obviously DK is a pretty jacked and, and ripped fella and, and Pete Carroll shakes his hand and he takes his own shirt off. Um, so that that's just the type of guy that he is. I'm sure that was an extremely fun guy to play with or play, play for. Um, and yeah, I mean, they got they got a lot of talented guys on their roster. So I think it's 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 a spot that they can win, like I said, if they just get the quarterback. So we'll see. I, well, I don't know how significant his role will be in the front office. I hope that Seattle gives him some sort of say in, in, in some things. And I hope that the the split here is actually somewhat amicable, um, considering the writing is on the wall a little bit that Pete Carroll didn't really want to leave. Um, I, I get where Seattle's organization is coming from in the sense of this. I understand that the game is getting a lot younger when it comes to head coaches. We're seeing a lot more of these offensive minded young head coaches. And you mentioned it, Pete Carroll, um, 72 years old, uh, would be the oldest head coach in the league if he was still coaching. And you can say, all right, Seattle's still a quarterback away and they might need to, we'll see if they get an opportunity to draft one, maybe this year, maybe next year, then it's still going to take a couple more years to develop after that and you're thinking all right by the time you might have a quarterback fully developed and you have a legit super bowl contender with that guy if you hit on him in in the next draft pete's gonna be what 75 maybe you're like you can't really have a 75 year old coach at that point kind of leading a super bowl run i get where they're coming from in that sense i just think it's unfortunate because i think carol's still doing a really good job in the nfl and you know i, I feel for him because he didn't want to leave but i understand where the decision come from Let's say, let's say you're Bill Belichick and you're looking for a coaching job next year, right? Screw the broadcast gig. I don't care how much money they throw at me. I want to, I want to compete for a Super Bowl next year, or I want to have the best roster available to me to get the 15 wins I need to to break Don Shula's record in the next two to three seasons, right? Current job openings around the NFL. Atlanta, Carolina, the Chargers, Los Angeles, New England, of course, Seattle, Tennessee, Las Vegas, and D.C., Washington, D.C., the Commanders. Um, I guess 
using doing this exercise in the shoes of Belichick isn't the greatest uh, idea because what we're trying to do here is rank essentially the best head coach job openings. And I don't think Bill is going to go back to New England. <laughs> so let's instead say you're Jim Harbaugh, right? Uh, a rumored head coach or, or any potential prospective NFL head coach. Paula, do you think we should, do you want to draft these? Go one pick at a time, or, or do you want to give your top eight and then I'll give my top eight and we can debate back and forth? I think a list is probably good here. I, I've got I've got my list and I, I got just a couple things to say about about each one. And then we can talk about some of our discrepancies um, in terms of landing spots for coaches. OK, well, in that case, I think we can bracket this into tiers because you and I have the same three bottom the same bottom three teams, Carolina, okay. Tennessee, and Vegas, and in no particular order are our three worst jobs. You have Fair enough. Vegas as your worst job, whereas I have Carolina. Tell me why you think Las Vegas is a worse landing spot for a prospective head coach than the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, so um, splitting hairs a little bit um, between these two franchises, I don't think it's the most ideal spot for either head coach. I think that the um, – the owner for each each franchise kind of looms large in, in the room and you worry about some of the freedoms that you might have as a head coach um, in that case. But the reason I have Carolina uh, a tick above Vegas in this one is because I do believe in Bryce Young. I just didn't think he had anything around him this year. And I think one of the most important things when you are a head coach looking for a new franchise or if that franchise is looking for you, however you want to look at it, the quarterback position being solved or not, I think it's the biggest thing you need to consider. I do believe Bryce Young can be a franchise quarterback for Carolina. He needs a lot of help around him, but I don't see, I don't think Vegas has that right now. You know, I, Aiden O'Connell filled in, played okay in a couple of games here or there, but he was a mid-round pick. I don't think anybody there thinks O'Connell's the guy. And so Vegas still has to do some searching for who their future franchise quarterback is. I think, I think Carolina has that. And for that reason, I have Carolina take above Vegas. So my response to you would be, one, I think Vegas already has their guy in Antonio Pierce. I think if I were making decisions there, he would stay. The players are practically begging ownership to let him coach again next season. However, you mentioned Mr. Davis isn't exactly the most forgiving or the easiest owner to deal with in the league. Their family has a has a history of that. Um. I would say if they go away from Pierce, it's less desirable because then you're one, you're undermining a lot of the players. And I think that will drive guys to either want to go somewhere else, such as a Devonte Adams or a Max Crosby, or it may just take away the belief they already have in themselves and the guy that's been pushing them the last handful of weeks. Um, Vegas had no business being a seven and nine team when Josh McDaniels was fired, no business whatsoever. Somehow Antonio Pierce turned them into that exact team. So if he stays there next year, I think they could, they could be kind of frisky, maybe contend for a wild card. Maybe. Um, I think there's room for them to make a move for a veteran QB there, but I also don't necessarily hate O'Connell. He, he wasn't the worst quarterback I watched this year. Maybe there's something there. Um, the reason why I had Carolina as my worst spot was because of the owner 
actually. Tepper, I think, is the worst owner in the league already. He's so impatient. He's still being sued for pulling out of the um, the practice facility negotiations that he had with Rock Hill, South Carolina, like halfway through construction. They were building a new like $800 million practice facility. And when it's halfway built, he just decides, no, never mind. I don't want to do it anymore. Um, I think he's very quick trigger. I could just as easily see him firing the next head coach they get within a year. I would be terrified to play for them because even though, yes, you have Bryce Young there as a potential building block, and I do think there is room there to improve, you're not going to be able to improve on that drastically this year. You don't have an attractive franchise to come and play for for free agents, and you don't have a top overall pick because you traded it away. So whoever the next coach is, is going to have to embrace a full year of sucking without disappointing the owner enough to get fired, which is a really, that's a tight window to, to work through. Right. Um, very, very tight restrictions to that extent. Um, Tennessee, I have looped into there in that bottom three as well, because, um, I just don't think there's a ton to build around with the roster, especially if, if Henry is leaving, this is really the, the biggest like full rebuild project out of these openings. Um, it's not a super attractive free agent destination. They're easily the worst team in their division um, with no clear signs of them being better next year. Hopkins is going to be on his way out eventually as well. So that will give a clean slate for the receiver room. You can talk to me about Tajay Spears all you want, but what else do you have after that? The, the silver lining to me is you already have a scapegoat quarterback. If Will Levis doesn't pan out this year, you can wash your hands of him, go get a better guy next year in the draft. Yeah, Tennessee, uh, for the very similar reasons to what you what you just stated, um, there's, there's not too much to work with there, and a lot of the talent that they did have uh, on the team this year is going gonna, is gonna to leave, like Derrick Henry, like you alluded to. Uh, they traded Kevin Byard midway through the year, so they don't have too much on defense either, with the exception of Jeffrey Simmons. So I, I agree. I, I personally believe in Will Levis. I think he has the tools to be a good NFL quarterback. The things that I saw from him this year, I, I liked more of what I saw than um, than not. But I agree with you that he could be a scapegoat quarterback in a sense where he wasn't a first-round pick. He wasn't like a consensus top guy. And there's still tons of uncertainty for him. There's not as much pedigree as a guy like Bryce Young has, or um, I know CJ Stroud didn't struggle, but CJ Stroud, you know, for lack of a better example. So, you know, the, I think he's still pretty raw, Will Levis is, and, and it might be difficult for a head coach to kind of transform that into, into a winning product. I, I can understand, can understand your concern about a uh, head coaching spot in Tennessee. Tell me about, your ideal coaching destination in the NFL. Before we did this exercise, by the way, I already knew which team you were picking for this. And I feel like I can dispute against why they shouldn't be pretty well. So let me hear your stance on uh, why the best coaching job in the NFL right now is, is the Los Angeles chargers. Oh, I've, I've been talking about the the chargers coaching opening for a while now and, and how much I think that prospective head coaches would love it has to do with the quarterback, Justin Herbert. Um, he's put up elite numbers. I know hasn't resulted in playoff wins yet, um, and sometimes not even regular season wins. But I, I do firmly believe he's a top 10 quarterback, um, fringe top five guy. And they're going to have a very, very good uh, draft pick this year. So they have, they're have they going to be able to give him a big piece to build around. 
those are the two big reasons for me. Uh, there's some talent on the defensive side of the ball as well, like Derwin James, um, even though their defense, again, somehow their defense hasn't put up great numbers, but they got talented guys there. I think that there are already pieces in play. They just didn't have somebody to orchestrate and put them together. Brandon Staley failed to do that. And I think a competent head coach is going to look at the Chargers situation and say, we're going to get a, another elite level player, theoretically, in the draft this upcoming year. And I've got my quarterback. I mean, of all the head coaching openings, the Chargers are the only one that have a, or let me say this, because I do think Bryce Young can be a franchise quarterback. They are the only one who has a proven franchise quarterback already in Justin Herbert. And that's why I think the Chargers are the best landing spot. Is he a proven franchise quarterback though? Like, is he, is he absolutely, really? absolutely without a doubt. What's the evidence? I don't his see numbers, any playoff man. wins. His numbers, dude. Okay. What do numbers translate to Super Bowl victories? Not all the time. I mean, it didn't with Dan Marino, but I think that people would consider Dan Marino a very good quarterback. He got 114 career touchdowns and 42 picks in in a four-year stretch. He's thrown for over 4,000 yards two other times. This year, he was on pace to throw for 4,000 yards again um, if he didn't get hurt. Take a look at an organization like the Chicago Bears. They've never even had a 4,000-yard passer. So it's like, I mean, the numbers are there. I don't think his defense has always helped him out in situations, and you can't always use that as a cop-out. But like, if you look in his playoff game from last year against Jacksonville, I know people like to put that on him and say, all right, they, you know, they blew the 30-point lead. Well, they still scored 30 points or 29, whatever it was. You know, he still helped get him to that position as well. I, I do think he's an elite-level quarterback. If you just look at purely at the numbers, um, I, I think absolutely. I would say he's definitely – He's one of the more talented quarterbacks in the league. I think talent, talent alone, he's top five. But execution and, and putting the talent to use and just like making the plays when the game matters the most, I think means something. And that's why I wouldn't put him in that top tier of quarterbacks. Like maybe you well, put me... him with the right head coach and it all changes. Um, but that's not why I. Well, that's, that's what I think. That's what I think the head coaches that are are looking at LA, that's what they'd be thinking. They're, they're going to say, I'm the right head coach. I can get the best out of him. It's like the most to work with and mold, you know, keep in mind, he's also only played four years in the leagues. So this is still like relatively a young guy. And yeah. I want to clarify, I don't, I don't have him in the Mahomes like Burrow camp and Josh Allen, but I got him like the tier below that. And I want to ask you a question for, cause I know you're not as high on Justin Herbert as I am. Considering that he's he's only played four years in the league, really only three full years, do you think that there's not room to improve even further and get better and and develop that clutch gene? Because we, we've seen guys like Josh Allen, it took him two or three years to really get going. Now, I know it's been a year longer than that with Herbert, but do you think that there's not still room to develop and that a head coach wouldn't look at the situation in L.A. and say, yep, he's got the basic raw tools I need. I can develop that clutch gene out of him. I think it is – so when I look at the situation of the Chargers, I look at it very cut and dry, right? You're going to be finishing in second place pretty much every year as long as Patrick Mahomes is in the division. So you need to find yourself a quarterback that can go on the road and win multiple playoff games. Is Justin Herbert that guy? I don't know if he is. I I don't know. I don't know if he will ever be that guy to win you two, three straight playoff games on the road. He could be someday for a season, maybe two, 
but you're going to have to have the right coach, the right group of players around him. Everything's going to have to mesh and mold right at the right time. And that's a really hard thing to accomplish. Um, Belichick made it look easy, but he also had the greatest quarterback of all time with him. Um, I don't think Herbert is the greatest quarterback of all time. I don't think he's close. And just because you put him with the best head coach of all time, I don't think it's an automatic quick fix. I think there's a lot of other problems on that team. They've got health issues at running back, at receiver. Uh, Bosa hasn't been the healthiest guy in the league either. And his, his oh, Bosa's a guy I forgot to mention on the defensive end. Well, they, you mentioned Bosa. They already don't have a ton of cap space. Bosa's going to be making 30 mil next year. Keenan Allen's going to be making 30 mil. You're going to have to extend Herbert at some point. Um, I think it's a very, it's probably, if not the most talented roster um, with the NFL head coach openings, it's one of the two or three. But, and and you also have the eighth pick in the draft at your disposal this coming year. So, so you're going to get a top 10 pick. You can use that however you choose. Um, but their owner doesn't really like spending money. Like you're kind of, sort of just working with what you have there unless you get really creative with trades and bringing in the right guys and some people will like that um situation some people won't i think i i also wouldn't be surprised if la goes for a younger guy like a ben johnson from detroit or like a bobby slowick from houston um they might want to stay away from the older guys and go with someone closer to herbert's age and and try to have a guy that can sort of match timelines with, if that makes sense. Um, they're not my most attractive coaching destination. I have them. Um, I actually have them fourth. So I have them in the top half. I have them fourth. I feel like there's more work to be done there than people realize. They're, they're just assuming, oh, you've got Justin Herbert. It's a given. You'll be good next year. Well, they weren't very good this year. Herbert's actually had two losing seasons now. Uh, in his four years in the league. So to me, that's not a great track record, despite what his numbers are all the time. We see quarterbacks put up awesome numbers on teams that aren't that great because they're behind a lot in games and they have to throw the ball. If you go and look at his stats over the last few years, he's got, he's like top two or three in the league in attempts every single year. I think just because of situations they're in Um, like Sam Howell this year was like, top five in the league in yards. Nobody's saying he's a great quarterback because he's not. Um, I'm not. That just sounded like it compared the two, which I guess to an extent I did, but it, it wasn't my intention. Um, I just wouldn't put them as my top destination. That's all. Oh, that's that's pretty clear and definitive from your end. I have a, I have a, a couple things to correct you on. Um, one, Keenan Allen is not making $30 million next year. He's going to make about 18.5, I think it is. Um, Justin Herbert has already been extended, by the way. He's gone like a $262.5 million well, Allen's, deal. Allen's cap hit will be $30 million. It's with like the, the oh, bonus and dead money in there? Yeah, it's with the bonus and everything okay. included. It's $30 mil plus. Um. But Herbert's already been extended, so they've already they've already hashed that contract out. So they don't have you don't have to worry about that. Um, I would say you're you're making the argument they played from behind a lot, um, which is fair. But do you think Matthew Stafford's a good quarterback? We've talked yeah. about him as a potential Hall of Famer. Okay, that yeah, was the he's, exact. He's won a Super Bowl. Yeah, that was the exact same story when he was in Detroit. Never won a playoff game in Detroit. Always padded stats because they were playing from behind, had Calvin Johnson to throw it to. We clearly see that he's a capable quarterback when he got a little bit more help around him. 
You're also saying that Justin Herbert is incapable of winning playoff games on the road because he's lost one playoff game on the road. He said one playoff game, he lost it. And you I didn't say he was incapable. He I think he could. Yeah, he did. I just don't think it's something you I You said could you see. didn't think that he was capable of consistently winning games on the road when you were talking about Patrick Mahomes winning that division all the whole time. Do you see him so, going on a Joe Flacco style playoff run ever? Yeah, I could. Absolutely. He's talented. He's, he's way more talented than Flacco ever was. Flacco, Flacco was elite for that playoff stretch, but absolutely. When you talk about just raw tools, Justin Herbert blows Flacco out of the water. Absolutely. I could see Herbert going on a run like that. Okay. Okay. For sure. I don't know. I that's just, about, and that's about all I have to say. I, I, I think, Herb, I think Herbert's really good. I, and I think with a little bit, uh, a better coach around him, I think he's going to prove a lot of people wrong. I will believe it when I see it. I, I, think he's got a world of talent he's one of the most talented quarterbacks in the league but talent doesn't always necessarily equate to wins um so i'll believe it when i see it my most uh my best head coaching job in the nfl i had atlanta which i didn't really expect when i made this list but then i did some research and i really looked at it they've got Bijan robinson kyle pitts drake london those are three first round guys in the offense Jesse Bates is one of the best safeties in football. They've got a pretty solid defense, actually. We we talked about that defense a few times this year. And they have the third best pass-blocking offensive line in the league. They've got two different guys on their offensive line. Their center and one of their guards, who are graded out as top three in the league at their position by PFF. Um, really, Atlanta is just a solid quarterback or quarterback better than Taylor Heineke slash Desmond Ritter away from being a playoff team this year, which isn't really hard to find in my opinion. All you got to do to win your division next year is find a quarterback on the same level of Baker Mayfield, if not slightly better. I don't think that's that hard to do. Um, I love that as a coaching fit. I think it's the weakest division in football. So it's the easiest playoff route for any head coach that wants that fast track. Um, I would love care uh, Atlanta as a fit for, for Belichick or for uh, some other higher level coaches with, with the caveat that you also have that veteran QB coming with you, whether it's a Russell Wilson or a Kirk cousins, maybe you go out and get somebody else. I, I don't know. Um, well, that's a huge if I, I, I don't disagree with you that Atlanta has got a, a pretty talented roster, even if you look at both offensive and defensive side, but that that's a huge, huge, if huge caveat, just saying. It is, it is. It's, it's certainly a key cog, but I think they don't, I look at the rest of their roster. They just don't have a ton of other pieces they have to fix. Like it's the head coach and the quarterback Two two of the hardest positions to nail admittedly two most important arguably yep (laughs) and the two most important but i think they can do it and if you do like we've seen this happen before in the past where if you nail that fit things just work out so that's that's the team i would have pegged as my number one job um after them i would have seattle i think there's some pros and cons with that again i'm just looking at pure talent across the board on the roster they've got a lot of young controllable assets um yes you're playing in a really tough division you're going against mcveigh twice a year you're going against shanahan twice a year but there's a recipe there for success you already have a pretty solid bridge qb there in geno smith um 
I wouldn't necessarily say that's a slam dunk destination because there are going to be a lot of expectations there. We mentioned their success over the last decade and a half. People are going to be expecting to win pretty much right away. So that's the challenge, but I, I think it's doable there for sure. I, I would actually say they slightly underperformed this year. Um, I don't know if Seattle underperformed per se. I mean, they had the same record this year. I can't remember. They were either eight and nine or nine and eight. Can't remember. Plus, I think you made some fair points. One of the best being that the the vision is weak, um, and that they should have uh, a good opportunity to to be competitive for the playoffs just based on that aspect alone, year in and year out. And then I have Seattle as my uh, third overall spot for um, for a coaching landing spot, just because you're right, they do have a lot of talent there. Uh, you look at the receiving core that they've got with with Metcalf, Lockett, and, and a young receiver in Smith and Jigba. And then there's some talented guys on defense as well. Uh, Devin Weatherspoon was very, very good, a top, top-tier top corner uh, as he continues to develop in this league, top 10 pick. And I haven't forgotten about Tariq Woolen either. I know he had a little bit of a down year, but you know, he could be a talented player there defensively for them as well. So, yeah, I think you're right. Seattle's got a tough division, but I think a little bit of a better roster, and Atlanta's got an easier division it's still a very good roster too. So I, I like those two spots where you have them. Um, I had Atlanta at four, Seattle at three. I could probably bump Atlanta up maybe a spot or two. Um, well, you I had, think that you had Washington yeah. as your number two. T- sell me on that because I had them. I had them. My top five was Atlanta, Seattle, New England, Los Angeles, and Washington. Maybe putting New England at three is a bit of a Homer pick. I can make my case for why it should be there, but Tell me about why you had Washington at two. Yeah, you know what? Um, Washington might be a tad high on this list. Um, I know it's our biggest discrepancy, I think, um, on our our coaching job list. I just think it's because you're going to have an elite um, top-level pick in this upcoming draft. You should be able to get one of the big-name quarterbacks, or you'll at least be in the running for it. Um, You know that there's a clear direction that you need to get a quarterback. I think there was some talk about maybe Sam Howell could be that guy earlier in the year. I know I floated that idea. I think that that has been debunked as of right now. Um, And the other thing is, I don't know if a a head coach would would end up keeping Eric Biennemi or Eric Biennemi would be moving on to try to find um, a head coaching job himself down the road. But I think you have a, a competent offensive coordinator there with an offense already set in place. So I think that's one side of the ball that you don't have to worry about. And there's new ownership there in Washington as well, that hopefully things will be a lot better than um, the tyranny that was the Dan Snyder era in Washington there. I know that they're optimistic about that new group that just purchased the the Redskins. So I think ownership's going to be better. You're going to have a really good pick. I think that your offensive mind can already be solved if you hold on to the enemy there. So I I think that all of those factors kind of play well into Washington for a coach. So the reason why I didn't have them listed as high, I um, I think, like, yes, it's awesome to have right away an option at a quarterback to pick in the draft. Like, immediately, you get to pick, quote-unquote, your guy. Or, or you have a choice or a potential to pick your guy for the future. Um, Commander's at two, by the way. I wasn't 100% sure that they're picking two. Yeah, they're picking second. Um, The Commanders have a lot of history in their franchise. Uh, They're the third most valuable team in the league. New ownership, who wants to make a splash? They've got uh, the architect of the Warriors, Warriors, Golden State Warriors dynasty in their front office now trying to help out 
uh, build a Super Bowl roster. I think it's an appealing circumstance, but I, I, I would also tread carefully going into it, thinking it's immediately the best job. Like there's some talent. There's some talent there on the roster, but also you have to build a lot of talent around them as well. Um, one thing I will say is that the commanders are going to have the most available cap space in the league going into uh, this off season. So maybe I should have them a little bit higher. Their owner is, is going to be willing to spend money. So theoretically you can go out, you can bring in a handful of guys and totally reshape the roster. Um, I just don't know if it's going to immediately translate to success because you've got the Cowboys and Eagles in that division, two teams that just won double digit games this year. And the Eagles did that on a bad year. <laughs> some would say like, I don't know. I, I When I look at the commander's job, I just look at the teams you have to overcome in that division in Dallas and Philly and how much talent those teams have. And I think it's really tough. Uh, the expectations are certainly high there. I, it's not like they've, they've won a ton of games. Like they don't have a, they have a winning history pre 2000, but not much since then. So I, I hesitate a little bit uh, with the commanders. That's all I'll say for them. I, I guess I, I don't put quite as much stock into, or certainly not as much as you, um, in terms of how strong or weak the division is uh, currently. It was just three years ago during the COVID year that the Commanders won the NFC East with uh, a losing record. And remember, there was the whole NFC least. This is the worst division in football. That was just two or three years ago. And now people talk about it as it's one of the better divisions. So I think that that's just evidence that that can change quickly. I mean, look at, you know, the Cowboys and Eagles were included in that whole NFC lease discussion and look at how much better they've gotten in just a couple of years time. So the cap space thing wasn't even an argument I was aware of at the time when I was making my case for Washington. That's another huge thing. And I think that that can indicate that they could get better quickly in a hurry. And I wouldn't put too much stock into to how the NFC East looks now because Washington knows they're not going to compete next year, right? They're going to get an elite quarterback in the draft, but they know that there's going to be some development process. It'll be two, three years before this team will probably start really thinking about making a deep run. And by then who knows how good Dallas or Philly will be. You never know. It's definitely the most clear rebuild project besides the Titans and the salary cap point brings me back to the chargers actually fourth least amount of cap space available going into the off season this year at minus 34 million. Okay. So yeah, they got to move some money around. Yeah. They're really handcuffed as far as that goes. Um, so to recap, Paul has the chargers, the commanders, the Seahawks, the Falcons, the Patriots, the Titans, the Panthers, and the Raiders. In that order, top eight. I have Atlanta, Seattle, New England, Los Angeles, Washington, Vegas, Tennessee, Carolina. Quick case for the Pats being in the top four. Second wealthiest franchise in the league. Robert Kraft isn't going to be shy to spend money. Third most available cap space in the league in the offseason. You've got some pieces for a solid defense coming next year. The obvious holes are on the offensive end, but you've got the third pick in the draft. You can pick a quarterback or a wide receiver, or an offensive tackle, whatever comes your way. You could even go and, and trade for, for one of those pieces, perhaps, if you wanted. Um, 
winning franchise though, the fans are going to expect wins pretty much right away or, or close. We're at least going to expect better than four or five wins this year, whatever our final total was. Um, I would say if I would say New England is going to be really excited for for the guy coming in, depending on who it is. If it's a boring, kind of lazy, sleepy hire, people are going to be angry really fast if the team starts struggling again. So it's it's a job that comes with a lot of pressure, but I think the support staff that you'll have around you in terms of finances, in terms of they're bringing a precedent of winning with the team and the aura that comes with it. Maybe I'm just putting too much on that because I'm a Pats guy and, and whatever um, I could be overlooking a lot of other things. And I'm not, I'm not overlooking the holes and the issues we have on our team. We have no quarterback. Our offense sucks. <laughs> like we need guys to throw the ball too. We need a guy that can throw the ball and we need guys that can protect the guy throwing the ball. I'm very aware of that. Um, but I still think it's, it's one of the better coaching destinations in the league. I, I saw something actually that said following up Belichick as head coach to the Patriots is like being the opening act for the Beatles, except instead of playing before the Beatles, you play after them. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's not going to be easy to succeed right away in the building. And um, there are a lot of expectations, but I think if anything, Pat's fans learn quickly and I don't think we're going to put the same expectations on the head coach that follows Belichick as we did the quarterback that followed Brady. I think the feeling in the room and the building will be a little bit different. Um, but I, we'll see. We'll see, man. Exciting. Yeah, the, the reason the reason that you just laid out there is kind of, is why I had it at five. I think that it's um, a lot of pressure for whoever takes that job and it's going to be such big shoes to fill after filling in for bill here. So um I had him at five, um, kind of in the middle of the pack. They do have the one thing going for him. The big thing going for him is that they do have a really good pick, so they can get an elite quarterback in theory. But, yeah, that's that's a lot of pressure. It's a tough fan base out there. Um, it's going to be a, one that expects wins and expects wins quick, no matter, no matter what that roster looks like. For sure. For sure. Any final coaching thoughts? No, nah, none for me. I, I just, I just think some of the names that have dropped have been, have been crazy uh, that we've seen this past week. I think that's the biggest takeaway for me. It's just uh, names that I thought I'd still be seeing for a couple more years, or if you would have told me a couple years ago that these guys would be gone, I'd, I'd be shell shocked. Let me pose you this question then. And I guess this will begin to lead us into our wild card preview for this weekend. Which of the coaches of teams playing this weekend is most likely to lose their job if they suffer a loss during the wild card round? Oh, very interesting question there. Um, two guys come to mind, uh, kind of crazy. I don't know if this, so I got to remember all the teams that are playing right now. The first two guys that came to mind, um, I have heard rumors and I don't know if this guy is actually on the hot seat because it'd be kind of ridiculous, but with how things have kind of torpedoed in Philadelphia, yeah. I just heard rumors that maybe, Sirianni's job isn't quite as secure as you might think. And I know that sounds ridiculous. And I personally kind of think it to be ridiculous because Philadelphia went to the Super Bowl last year. They still won 11 games this year. But I've heard some rumblings that Shane Steichen was the real brains of the operation last year. He's obviously in Indianapolis this year. The, you know, the, the locker room doesn't seem to be great. 
this year. And we've seen Philadelphia be very, very willing to move on from elite coaches. They let Andy Reid go. Um, they let Doug Peterson go after winning a Super Bowl. This isn't a franchise that's shy from moving on from coaches, even short, shortly removed from extreme success. So Sirianni is a guy that potentially comes to mind. That would be a terrible finish to the season. And then I would make this case as well, though I don't I think that there's a smaller percentage chance if this guy loses this week. If the Bills lose to the Steelers, who are clearly, I think, the clearly the worst team in the AFC in the playoff picture, maybe the worst playoff team in this year's playoff race. If Sean McDermott and the Bills lose to the Steelers, I think there will be serious questions there because that is a Super Bowl roster year in and year out that would be consistently underachieving. Those are the two guys that come to mind. No mention of Mike McCarthy kind of surprises me a little bit because I think he would also be on the hot seat if the Cowboys lost to the Packers. But I think McDermott is a more obvious choice. If the Steelers somehow pull off a win against the Bills this weekend, I I guess it would kind of depend on how the game went. Um, But that would bring some serious serious questions McDermott's way um with the Eagles with Sirianni I think that's a slam dunk if they lose to the Bucks on Monday night he's gone like the next day I don't think he sticks around if that happens um I, I you you may be right about Sirianni you you may be I, I personally don't I think that that is extremely extremely uh, I, I don't even know what to say. I, I don't agree that Sirianni, they should move on with him if he loses in the playoffs this first round after going to the Super Bowl last year. But yeah, I, I've heard some rumblings there. I don't know. We'll see if anything comes to fruition. I think he's lost the locker room, plain and simple. And I think if they struggle early in that game, I think it will landslide. And I think it will get really, really, really ugly. And it'll be... Like, it'll be bad, bad. Um, I I kind of think they'll win this week, but if they lose, I think it'll be, like, really, really ugly. I don't think it'll be a clean game. Um, I just I just find I find it interesting that you seem to be in, in such, um, I guess, agreement that Sirianni should go if he loses this playoff game after – after going to the Super Bowl the previous year? Well, it's just because of how they struggled as of late. They've lost five of their last six. Like, some of the losses they've had, too, have just been to teams they shouldn't lose to in any circumstance, regardless of who's healthy or who's hurt. You you can't lose back-to-back games to the Cardinals and Giants in the last weeks of the season. Um, the Niners, Cowboys, Seahawks stretch, those three games back-to-back-to-back, that's tough. You also lost to the Jets earlier in the year. Um, it's just the way things have snowballed the last two months of the season. One win in your last six weeks, the one win being against the Giants at home. Everything else has been brutal. You lost to the to the Niners and Cowboys by 20-plus. Those are tough teams to play, but that's like the benchmark for success in your conference as well. If you're that far behind those guys and you can't even beat – the, the Bucks who barely made it out of their division and also finished the year pretty brutally in the first round of the playoffs. What's the case for bringing him back? Okay. Yeah. You made it to Super Bowl, but it's not like they won it right clear. You, you, your argument 
people who made the case for the Eagles to go back to the Super Bowl this year would have said that far and away they have the most talented team in the league outside of maybe the Niners, right? Now people aren't necessarily saying those same things. They put the Ravens second in that category. Some people even say like the Cowboys would would be up there as well. I still think the Eagles have a ton of talent on their roster. Not being able to make the best use of that this time of year is more than enough grounds for me for for moving on from the head coach, even if he may have had success in the past. I I just think that's very interesting because you could you could make the same arguments multiple times for Mike Tomlin and and you never have. That that that's where I was getting with that. I mean, he had he lost uh, to two win teams, Cardinals and Patriots, in the middle of the year. Um, I know yeah. things turned around a little bit at the end of the year, but he hasn't won a playoff game in seven years. And like 2020, he had this collapse at the end of the year when they were started off 11 and 0, and then only won one game the rest of the year. That's that's what I was trying to trying to get at. Like, and I don't. Just you. When I say you, I say that arbitrarily. I'm talking about like the national media as well. Seems to be kind of talking about how how bad things are for Sirianni, and I never hear that really with Mike Tomlin. Some other coaches. I just I think it's tough. It's a it's a it's a tough room there. If the guy goes to the Super Bowl in 2022 and or 2022 2023 season, and and now you know has it has a bad second half of the following year, and he might be out. You know that's a tough tough look. Well. There is a, a slight difference with the Eagles and with the Steelers. One, I don't think the Steelers have been picked as Super Bowl favorites the last handful of years by anybody. Um, no, not the last handful of years, but they were being discussed as one in the first half of 2020 when they started 11 and 0. That was yes. kind of the year I was I was referencing back. I know I know we're going back three years in time, but, but you have a point. That you team, have a point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, you definitely have a point. I don't know. I never really thought about it through that specific lens. Um, I guess the the downfall of the Eagles the last handful of weeks has just been so brutal that it's tough to ignore. I mean, you mentioned the Steelers. They started eleven and zero. The Eagles were what ten and one, and since then they've gone one and, and one, five. Yeah. So it's it's similar. It's definitely similar. Um, mm-hmm. Did the Steelers lose in the first round of that playoffs? They did. That was uh, that was Baker Mayfield and uh, and the Browns coming in and beating us the year Kevin Stefanski coached from his basement or didn't really coach, but Kevin Stefanski wasn't even on the sideline for that. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So I guess there is a little bit of a, a, a past president there for for keeping that guy to a certain extent. All right, that does it for part one of today's fifth and long podcast. Keep an eye out for part two coming out this afternoon as well. Make sure to tune in to us on the socials at 5th and Long on Twitter, at 5th and Long Pod on YouTube and Instagram. Thanks for your eyes, your ears, of course. We hope you enjoyed the show and stick around. Plenty more content coming your way for this NFL Super Wild Card Weekend.